Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 87 of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. And this is this is actually kind of a sad day for me. You know, it occurs to me we didn't make a joke about 86ing the whole podcast when we were talking about... No, we didn't. We should have. I missed that opportunity. It's like, if only we were recording this and could like... Re, re, Go re back play. and fix yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, but I can't do that. Uh, at any rate... This is kind of a sad day because this is the last regularly scheduled FedHeads episode of 2019, and I love doing this podcast so much. So it's kind of it's kind of sad that we're closing a chapter. As sad as it is for us, imagine the pain that we're inflicting on our listeners. <laughs> oh my God, the celebration, the dancing in the street is <laughs> happening as a result of the fact that we're. I just uh, done tell, for the year. To promise Carlos Otal my. Uh, biggest fan and boss, that yes. we will be back. He loves this podcast. He really does, yeah. This summer, when we were at... Uh, He's paying for it. Yeah, Maybe well, that has something, to do, something to do with it. When we were at AGA this summer, he joked, I'm using air quotes for the people that are watching on TV, he joked about replacing you or becoming the third man in the booth, I think, was the term that he used. <laughs> yeah, because he was really he was really into it. Yeah. He loved it, and and I thought at the time he might like it a little too much. I'm not sure. I don't know what to say to that. I Carlos can have it at any time he wants. Well, I'm not sure you should have said that because <laughs> you may not be back for 2020 if uh, if he gets his way. A little suspense for our listeners. He's a big fan of the show. It's great that he is a big fan and supporter of the show and, and lets us do this every week. Yeah, he's second only to Haley, Hannah, and Mimi, my gorgeous daughters who love listening to us as well. They're wonderful young ladies. And it's funny because of all – of the times that if they listen so much of all the times we've talked about them, I don't remember you ever saying, Hey, they came back and said they heard us talking about them on the podcast. And so funny. You mentioned that. I'm not, I'm not sure how that works, but well, anyway. girls, you'll, you'll each get $20. If you tell me you listened to this episode, that's fantastic. And there's no point in me making that offer to my son, Francis, cause I know he, he's <laughs> never listened to one episode and never will listen to one episode. And I'm fine with that. I'm not bitter about it at all. Since this is the end of the year, let's talk about the things that have jumped out at you as the most important things of the year. And as we kibitzed about this a little bit before we turn the microphones on, we both agreed number one in government management this year, the shutdown of the government, longest one we've seen in, I don't know, how, was it the longest one ever? Longest government shutdown ever. Inflicted a lot of pain on a lot of people. Uh, you know, it, you and I also discussed that we're, we're in the middle of a very short-term continuing resolution that expires December 21st, right before the holidays. Um you know, hopefully we won't be in the same situation. It looks like we're closer to agreement. But that was a real difficult period, did a lot of damage, cost the taxpayers a lot of money. Kudos to the public servants who, are, who were able to manage through it. One of the things that might be a silver lining in that dark cloud of the shutdown, it may have done 
what the Coast Guard has tried to do, I think, for a long time, and and I'm not sure has been so successful on, and that is reinforce the idea in people's minds that the Coast Guard is a military organization. Because the Coast Guard is categorized under the Department of Homeland Security, and they were part of the partial shutdown, Coast Guardsmen didn't get paid during the shutdown. And that gained really high profile, I think, during the 30 however many days it was, 36. And a lot of people paid attention to the fact that here are men and women on the front lines of defending America and are doing some of the hardest jobs that we ask people to do as a country, and they weren't getting paid. It's important that federal employees are categorized um, as essential or non-essential, pretty much. And those who are essential have to come to work but don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you cited one example, but we could go through a litany of them, people who come to work even though they're not getting a paycheck. Well, I remember going through an airport checkpoint during the shutdown too, and it it struck me how many people, not just here in Washington where you would think, okay, a lot of people are aware of what's going on with the federal government even if they don't work for the government, but I don't remember what the airport was where I was traveling, but uh, – Oh, it was Miami, I think. And lots of people that were going through the lines were thanking the TSA people for showing up for work anyway, even though they weren't getting paid. So there is a level of awareness outside of our area for this that that really surprised me. Maybe a silver lining. I'm not sure it's worth it. So let's hold our breath and hope it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I'm not suggesting. I'm, I'm glad that it happened that way by any stretch of the imagination. Um, my vote for another important thing that happened this year was the one-year anniversary of the president's management agenda. I think it is striking how agencies responded mostly positively to the original release of the PMA. And I'm not aware of any place in government where people have taken their foot off the gas at implementing the PMA. And I think it's because so many people looked at it and said, yeah, this is a good roadmap for us. This makes a lot of sense for what we need to do to execute the mission of whatever our organization is. Yeah. You know, Danny Werfel and I, it was also the 10-year reunion of a lot of people who worked in the Bush administration. And he and I took that opportunity to reflect on how much in the current president's management agenda has its foundation in previous administrations, the Clinton, Bush, and Obama administrations. This one in particular is refreshed. It is focused. It has the support of the government management community. And I think there's a lot to celebrate in that continuity and in the persistence in what I think many would perceive as a really partisan period. The fact that though that focus has been sustained is a testament to the institution that's now the president's management agenda. Yeah, it speaks to the history of that document and the evolution of that document that you as a Bush administration appointee, Danny as a long career omb and then an Obama administration appointee multiple times, agree not just on the importance of the existence of something like a president's management agenda, but on the components of the one that exists today and the way that it's kind of evolved over time. Yeah. Improving the workforce, the talent you have to accomplish the government's mission, making the procurement system work better, ensuring transparency and accuracy of our finances, and, and strengthening the adoption of technology. 
those are things that unfortunately persist as problems for the government. We made a lot of progress, but as this agenda shows, there's a lot more we can do. But I would argue that it's even more significant than it might sound to that, because I don't know any that anybody would disagree that those challenges aren't important and that they haven't persisted. I think they have. But what's striking to me is how many people have been, for example, on the television show, and we've talked about it here on this podcast, it's not just the existence of a framework. It's this framework that people that have worked in other Republican administrations and people that worked in President Obama's administration have said very explicitly, this is really good. This, the exact tenets in this plan, these principles are the ones that agencies should be following, and this is a good thing that this is the framework that agencies have. I agree with that. All right. You had a choice for the other thing that you think is most important besides the shutdown that surprised me not one bit. During the shutdown, yes. the president signed the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act. Oh, here we go. Now, it's true, as listeners, uh, loyal listeners will know, that I often tout my membership on the Commission for Evidence-Based Policymaking. Often is an understatement, but that's fine. Again, that we're able to accomplish something of this magnitude during a period of great partisanship um, is a real testament to the bipartisan nature of what was proposed. And it lays the foundation for a new infrastructure in agencies to set about collecting evidence that can impact policy and improve the performance of agencies and their programs on behalf of the American people and do so at a faster pace. So the question I always ask in situations like this that I probably don't need to in this case is how do you measure success in an effort like this? It's the data. I mean, that's really – it's it's self-evident, right? It, it Well, it won't be self-evident. Agencies have to adopt a learning agenda. What are the big questions they want answered? And then they've got to produce annual evaluation plans on how they're going to go and answer those questions. What evaluations are they going to perform that give them the data and evidence to answer those questions? And then we want to make sure that evidence is impacting the management of programs and the adoption of policy. All those documents will be published, and so we can measure whether or not the evidence is impacting the policy. Uh, But self-evident, I don't think, is the right term to use. Okay. Agencies will have to be held accountable for doing that. GAO is certainly going to do it. Inspectors general are going to do it. Congress has shown a real interest, and that's one of the things I'll be watching is to what extent have we gotten congressional buy-in to this, and are they staying focused on its implementation? Do you think that will continue? I are do. you optimistic about that? I'm optimistic about that because the support in the Congress uh, is bicameral and bipartisan. So with three organizations, GAO, IGs, and the Congress, continuing to keep an eye on this, I would think at some point some of the folks that implemented the PMA in the Trump administration, regardless of whether the president's reelected or not, will start to transition out. But with those three organizations continuing to be interested in this, I don't think anybody in an agency should say, well, they'll be gone, so we'll, we can let, let off the gas. We can back up, back off on this. I agree with that. And there's a career 
uh, cadre at OMB and across the government that's shown a real interest in this. Mm -hmm. I also think um, one of the things we can look forward to is a presidential election. If we have a presidential transition, I expect that also not to impact the, the momentum behind this. Something to think about there, too, is we'll probably have a transition, if nothing else, from the first term of President Trump to the second term of President Trump. There'll be some personnel turnover there, certainly not to the degree that you would have if everybody switched out and, and the Democratic nominee becomes president. But there will be a transition there of sorts no matter what happens. Is that a fair observation? Absolutely right. Will be the political appointee who assumes reappointment <laughs> when their boss is reelected. Um, it's an opportunity to uh, take a fresh look, to strengthen the folks uh, who are holding those appointed positions. All right. So holiday season is upon us. Uh, it's going to be a great holiday season. Uh, Hanukkah starts this week for the people who celebrate that. Uh, you have Christmas plans? What are you doing? Uh, we're going up to Connecticut on Christmas Day. Nice. Traditionally, Christmas Eve and Christmas morning in uh, front of our um, warm hearth. And what about you? Uh, same kind of deal. I'll be in the wonderful town of York, Pennsylvania for Christmas Day and sitting in front of the fire and just eating my brains out probably. Well, it's been a great year, and I've enjoyed spending a lot of it with you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I feel the same way, and I'm excited for year three of FedHeads. It's coming that's, up. That's, that's crazy. It's, it's crazy, wonderful, and I'm looking forward to it. Yes, it's crazy in a wonderful way. I didn't, didn't mean to make it sound like it was like an infringement on my time or something. It's, it's terrific to share this time with you. Mike. Look forward to it. Thanks for listening to the FedHeads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.